you know, he's playing with this stack deck, stack deck with dialogue, right? Because this is an Aaron Sorkin written film. But even then, man, it's just a, the, this is just an amazing movie. I, everybody kind of hinges on the courtroom stuff, but I, I love the whole thing. You know, the, 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 the dining sequence with Jack Nicholson where he's just being a pompous asshole, um, are, are amazing. And, you know, Yes, he is pompous, but you know the guy's doing his job, you know, and doing it well. And, and you know, my co-hosts on True Romance have had arguments about. Uh, he thinks that the villain is Jack Nicholson, and I don't quite see it that way. I think you know the guy's doing his job. Alright, hi everyone, welcome to another episode of a podcast directed by. So we are continuing with Rob Reiner, uh, and we are taking a look today at A Few Good Men and The American President, which I guess the two, the thing that really ties these together, Mike, is, you know, the, the writer. We've got, you know, the same writer, the same excellent, I mean, it's interesting. We've talked about this before, but like you spend any time on Twitter, which is a bad idea, and you will get people in both camps, like either He's the best writer of a generation or like that guy. Actually, that guy sucks. So where do, where do you land? <laughs> on oh, this argument? I don't know. Mm. I think within the, the same scene, you can have mm. uh, the, the, the peaks of greatness and then you can fall to a little bit of what seems like a cousin of dad humor in a way. Mm. Like there's an element of cornball uh, to Aaron Sorkin, which uh, I don't mind because it, it's distinctly his, right? You have right. very high minded, very capable individuals uh, who are a little cheesy uh-huh. at times. And even even with the great Tom Cruise here, at, at times, leans leans into the cheese. He has an obsession with touching his baseball bat. Well, yes. That's his thinking. <laughs> it cap. helps so, yeah, him think, Mike. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of the level of humor at times, uh, along with being way smarter than myself. That's I don't know. I find that extremely comforting that Aaron Sorkin has a brain that I will never possess but mm-hmm. I can also uh, point my uh, finger in his eye and make fun of him. I can give him a swirly <laughs> for being a <laughs> being a, a hacky old man. I guess yeah. I, I don't know. We were talking about the auteur uh, from Molly's Game. So how dare Twitter uh, mm. attack this great filmmaker? <laughs> yes, the auteur behind uh, the infamous Kevin Costner scene in that movie, which we will not talk about because it's so terrible. Um, I think I think Sorkin Sorkin to me I think is obviously an amazingly talented writer. I think. Sometimes when we look back at either movies from this era or things like The West Wing, it can seem simplistic politically because it is kind of a liberal's wet dream, right? All of these movies really are. Mm-hmm. And and I think back then there was a a much easier dividing line uh, between conservative and liberal where we're just like, oh, well, this is clearly this and this is clearly that. And as things get more moderate and less moderate, I think sometimes it can be easy to poke holes in it, but like maybe you wouldn't in the nineties. You know, I don't think you would watch the American president in the nineties and feel like, Oh, well, this is ridiculous. Like that, these, they do feel true to their time, but we'll start with, with a few good men. Uh, maybe, maybe my favorite courtroom drama ever. Um, this is a really good one. This is one that I remember seeing in high school and, Actually, I ended up reading the play in an English class in my high school as well. Uh, and it was one of my first kind of experiences where you can 
where you could kind of go back and forth and see on the page, like where this was, you could see it was a play. Like there are, I think the Reiner does a good job in this movie to stretch a little bit and to show different areas. And like when they go out to visit Jessup for the first time, you actually get a lay of the land, which you wouldn't get on stage. So I think Reiner does a really good job here of taking some uh, incredible material on the page, but then also making it a little bit more cinematic. It's got pretty faces. That helps, right? You've got Tom Cruise to be more Jack Nicholson. You have <laughs> Kevin Bacon in a secondary role as uh, the opposition, not not the villain, right? I mean, just the the guy tasked to, to perform his his job and seems to have a friend, friendly rapport with Tom Cruise, even though they're on uh, the two different sides of this particular case. Uh, it's just like glamorous. It's like mm-hmm. old fashioned glamorous as far as like stuff, stuff as many movie stars in here. And that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's sure. I, I mean, it can come across as, you know, stagey given its, its origins. But I think that that's negated by the fact that it is a courtroom <laughs> drama. Like that. Those are always stagey, right? Like right. they're performative. So it's, I think it is damn near perfect. Like I, I don't really have any other flaws with it other than and uh, man and this this will would roll up some people on film Twitter sometimes the score uh, like there it's in your face elements where <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm thinking like when you have like you know a mysterious character show up in the back of the car and <laughs> like the, the sort of the transitional moments uh, to these very passionate conversations about the lies and deceit and how we're going to take down this. Uh, great military figure there's (laughs) these musical cues that uh like you said are probably befitting of their time right but or i I don't think that reiner would make that choice now although as we've said on previous episodes you and i are not following what he's doing now so maybe not maybe he's still giving us a few good men and just nobody's watching yeah 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 (laughs) it does the score i'm glad you brought that up actually it's not something i thought of as i was watching the movie but like as you mentioned i was like oh yeah it does feel like a great score to like, if you, if you buy scores to listen to, it feels like a good one to listen to. Like it's good music, but it does feel like, uh, it's doing a little more than guiding you to the point. Uh, in certain sequences, like it is a bit unnecessary given the uh, star power you have. Right. Uh, you know, when you have, when you have Jack Nicholson, I mean, he obviously has, uh, that, the, the great line, the, the iconic one of not being able to handle the truth. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's gonna do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You've used them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. 
I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. Did you order the code red? I did the job. Did you order the code red? You're goddamn right I did. But he's also talking about, you know, ripping off Tom Cruise's his, skull and pissing. Well, it's, you know, talking about his faggoty white uniform and it's, there's a lot. It's, it's not yeah. a subtle portrayal, but I, it was like, it was so interesting to go back and watch this because I haven't watched this in years. Like I, when it first came out, I think I watched it two or three times in the theater, but like, it's not a movie that I'm like always anxious to just watch. I, although our expert, Hiro from the True Bromance podcast, this is one of his, favorite it's like he watches it a lot so it's very interesting to talk to him especially because he think he's not convinced that jessup is a villain which is one of the craziest things i've ever heard but you know i also think he was a fan of the uh the the educational methods of uh the guy from whiplash as well yes he was so that tells you everything you need to know (laughs) twitter hashtag there uh, I don't but know. It, but um, it was it was so good to see Nicholson again. Weird to say again because we're kind of going back in time. But, you know, he is, I think, after the period after this movie, he really settled into like, I'm just going to be Jack. I'm going to be Jack in most things because I can just I can do that. I don't really have to stress. And then, of course, you know, more recently, he's kind of basically retired from acting and he's like just kind of done. So it was so nice to go back and be like, oh, yeah, this is when Jack like. He was so, in, he's such an intimidating force on screen that like even without the, you can't handle the truth, the iconic line, the yelling and screaming in the court, even the scenes when they first go to visit him and interview him, like the man is terrifying, even when he's just like sitting back in his chair. And it's a really impressive performance. It's until that last scene, I don't even think it's a showy performance. There's a lot of showy performances in this movie, but I think Jax is like, because he like leans on everyone knows who I am. Everyone, everyone can see this. He doesn't have to really go hard in those sequences. He just has to be kind of a shit. And he's so good at it that like there are moments in this movie where I wish there was more interaction between our lead character and Nicholson's character. Yeah. Cause it gets into the, the element that I, I probably like the most about the movie is the strangely with all of these names we've mentioned, the Kevin Pollack character. Oh, he's great. Because he's on the. He's on the good side. He's on the, or at least the side that we're rooting for, uh, to, to defend these men, uh, who've been, well, I guess it's debated throughout the, the, the running time of film, whether or not they were given order, uh, to, to bully and harass, uh, their, their, their colleague, their peer, and who, who's responsible ultimately for it. Uh, he has this back and forth with Tom Cruise, I don't know, about two thirds of the way through, uh, where Cruise, in a heated moment is like, you know, you just don't, why don't you like these guys? And he's mm-hmm. like, cause they're bullies. Like, you know, when you take away, I guess the, uh, the legal responsibility of all of this and strip it down, they still participated in an act of bullying. Like they didn't right. take care of someone weaker than them or different than them. And it's, that's the stuff that I really like here because mm-hmm. Kevin Pollack saying that to Tom Cruise, you're like, well, of course, Kevin Pollack's going to feel that way. <laughs> the little guy. Because <laughs> look at the two of them, right? You know, right. There's the, the movie star and then there's the character actor. Uh, but to bring it back to what you were saying about Jack Nicholson and the way he sort of domineers everyone else in there, it's interesting to see the levels of mm-hmm. it because we believe that Kevin Pollack would be the sidekick to Tom Cruise. But we also equally believe that Tom Cruise would be beholden to Jack Nicholson mm-hmm. as a spear, not just, not just the characters they're playing. 
but just you put those two on mm. screen and there's a pecking order here that the movie really plays with that I mm-hmm. I enjoy because it's hard and it's I don't know I don't know how much longer in his career Tom Cruise would have taken parts like this. It's a good part. Yeah. But he also gets mud in his eye for for a long stretch of this movie. Yes. And his blade is basically like, you know, he's just sort of like the dumb jockish blonde character kind mm-hmm. of. He's he's the one that no one really thinks much of. But uh, Demi Moore has some really great takedowns of him yes. here, which is you know, that's a big clue that we were going to get the greatest auteur of our time was Molly's game. You know, we have the the lead female character here. <laughs> I guess she got to mansplain, unlike the Kevin Costner scene you don't want yes, to talk about. That's true. I, I'm also glad How many times you... can we bring that up just to aggravate? <laughs> no <that>? more. <laughs> no more. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Kevin Pollock, though, because I think it's really interesting that that character speech, which I think is really impactful, um, not only because it's like, oh, they're bullies, but it's it's more subtle than that. It's the idea that like if you are stronger, your job shouldn't be to beat up on everybody. Your job Your job should be to protect people. Because that is ostensibly what the military is there for, for the American people as well. So you've got, again, those different levels. And that's essentially the message of the entire movie, I think. Um, it's not that Jack Nicholson's character, Jessup, is evil. It's not that, like, oh, he did this terrible thing, although that is there. The end of the movie is when you have one of one of the defendants understand, finally, like, oh, no, it's not just about we followed orders so we're innocent. We should have stood up for him. We should have done better. And it's a really moving moment because especially because it comes from a character that doesn't speak very much. And when he did speak, just was like, I follow orders. I say yes, sir. And no, sir. To anybody who is above me, that is what I do. So for him to get that, and especially without, it didn't take Kevin Pollack taking him aside and yelling at him. It was the whole process. It was the whole courtroom drama, everything. He finally got it at the end. And so it's like, it's not a black and white ending. It's not a like, oh, the good guys got off or, or even like, oh, the good guys were guilty. That sucks. It's like, oh, there's, there's shades of gray here. Yes, they followed orders. Yes, they did what they were quote unquote supposed to do, but there is a human calling that goes above and beyond your job calling. And it's, you know, it's a very liberal way to look at military politics, uh, for sure. <laughs> because I think if you had a conservative filmmaker, you would not, you would not be having this lesson. But I think I like the fact that it's it's not as simplistic as it could have been. I'm not going to accuse Stanley Kubrick of being a conservative filmmaker at all. I, don't, I actually don't know what his politics uh, were, really. But <laughs> I do remember someone in an interview um, claiming that uh, – what was the actor's name that played the, the drill sergeant? Like, and he oh, became uh, Ar- Arlie Ermey. Metal jacket. Arlie Ermey. Yeah, I remember him going on record, like talking shit. I think talking shit about the great Tom Cruise. Like, how dare he from Eyes Wide Shut? Like, oh, old Stan, he told me the scoop, said this guy's terrible, and I had to do so many takes because he can't act, and he sucks, and I hate this movie, and it was stupid. Like, of course, after Kubrick passes away, which is kind of poor form, I think. But a bit. Um, I think it was Todd Field. Is that the actor's name from Eyes Wide Shut? He went on mm-hmm. to make In the Bedroom and yeah. uh, some other like little children, uh, saying that like. Basically, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about because he thought his character in Full Metal Jacket was like the hero of the piece. So I think that, mm. yeah, there would definitely be, you know, we could go back to like John Wayne and like the Green Berets and stuff. Like if you go back to some of the filmmaking made by more conservative voices, uh, especially in the Vietnam era, decidedly different than the yeah. the, the classics we have now. Uh, I, I don't know. Like it's it's weird. Like I you you mentioned that and. 
I felt like then Aaron Sorkin maybe would have been seen as like, oh, he's a really progressive guy. I don't, I don't, but now he comes across as kind of just like old fashioned. Like I think he would be, Mm. he would be the, uh, he would be the Biden of film culture. He would be decidedly moderate and centrist. uh, And that would be seen as a bad thing because he, at least in this film, he gives everyone somewhat the benefit of the doubt. Even the Jack Nicholson character is given the benefit of the doubt by Tom Cruise when he has suspicions about this guy, uh, to me more yet again, uh, I think she's the one that brings up to him, like basically, why did you challenge him? He, he challenges them in a very sort of subtle way as he's standing up from their first, uh, like lunch meeting. And she's like, yeah, you didn't have, you could have like done this sort of red tape bullshit. Like in another way you could have asked an assistant, Hey, can you get me this? But you wanted to see what his reaction was going to be, which sets up our great finale, mm-hmm. a classic movie moment. Um, I, I think that, you know, this movie came out now. It would have to be to a very specific audience, unfortunately. I don't think this yeah. just could be a wider release because it's a bit of a political hot potato. And I don't, I don't know of many military-based movies that have been runaway four quadrant sort of hits like lately. I mean, usually they're dealing with like this. The Iraq this War might have been the last one. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like you know, you get into that that. Uh, that that mix of like you're not being supportive enough or you're being beholden to the military industrial complex like all of that and i I think that we have enough voices uh here with the characters there's enough shades to how each one of them have a different viewpoint but they're all sort of doing they're all part of the same process same job uh that it works really well normally like that kevin pollack moment that i pointed out that i really love so much I, i don't know if i would like it as well if it's if it's not the actor it's not like such an entertaining movie because a lot of Sorkin scenes, it's like someone walks into a room and is like, I need to get something off my chest. I need to make a political point here. Uh-huh. I, need to, <laughs> I need to let you know what my worldview is. And that's going to stuff like Sports Night, which is a, a sitcom I really liked. Almost every scene, someone has a big speech that is like, <laughs> you know, I, I doubt you or I have ever had the opportunity to have one of those speeches. Still waiting for uh, my almost, shot. <laughs> I mean, unless you were like leaving a job, unless you were like, I've, and another thing, I've always wanted to tell this to your face. You suck. You know, <laughs> it would be more burning the house down, but right. those happen every episode and almost every scene in these movies. As I said, it's a little, it's a little hokey, but I, I don't know. I think we're very forgiving of this being an early nineties movie, like peak Tom Cruise. Um, I, I don't know if it's peak Jack Nicholson, but you might be right. It I think, be like- I think it's a, I think Nicholson's is an interesting career to look at. Like if we were doing, if we were doing a show on actors instead of directors, it would be a Jack Nicholson episode would be really interesting. Cause I think he has a couple different peaks in his career. There's like young Jack Nicholson peak and older Jack Nicholson like, peak. Uh, yeah. Like, I think you know, like people would say like as far as his acting prowess would probably be like, the seventies, like five yeah. easy pieces, stuff Chinatown, like that. one flew over the cuckoo's nest, yeah. like all that stuff. But then he has another peak late. And I think here and it, but I also think it's, you know, not to be a jerk about it, but I think it's a pretty precipitous drop after this because it's not, it's not a subtle portrayal that he's doing here. And it's very easy to move into. And it, it makes sense that kind of after this, he kind of moved more comedic after this, because like once you become a character caricature of yourself a little bit, then it's like, okay, I'm going to do. As good as it gets, I'm going to do, you know, the bucket list, which we'll talk about later this, this, uh, this month, you know, so it makes a lot of sense. Two of those together. They're basically the same. They're the same thing. (laughs) No difference whatsoever. But it's interesting watching this again because I was expecting it to like not hold up 
Um, and some of that may be nostalgia, right? Like, you know, saw it in the nineties when it was big. So I still have those good memories around it, but also there's some, you know, even aside from our leads, there's some legitimately really good performances here. Like, especially, uh, I think the actress named JT Walsh, um, who plays Markinson is the guy who pops up in the back of the, in the back of the car with the, you know, the, the musical, music the musical the score. Walsh yes. <laughs> but I think he's actually really good here and it maybe might be the best performance in the movie because he's the one, because everyone else is coming from a very specific mindset. Tom Cruise, uh, Kevin Pollack, Demi Moore, uh, who's also good, by the way. We haven't talked a lot about her, but she's in a relatively hey. thankless part is very good. Uh, I have. You know, yes. But I, I like, I, I like women in film. Yeah. Unlike you. It's Unlike me. Really hard for you next month. Yeah, it's going to be rough. <laughs> um, they're coming from the, you know, the quote unquote, the side of good, right? You know, we got a, we had a right or wrong that was done here. And then you've got the, you know, the Nicholson character and even like the Kevin Bacon character, certainly the Kiefer Sutherland character, uh, who are coming in on the, on the other side, just kind of like, we do what we want. Why don't you leave your, you know, horrible white uniforms at home and, you know, let us do our jobs. You need me on that wall, et cetera. But then you've got Markinson kind of right in the middle who understands now that even if he was doing what he was supposed to do, he was doing his job. It wasn't the right thing to do. And you see his, his, the constant tearing going back and forth through his portrayal. And I think he's just tremendous. It's maybe the most subtle performance in a movie that is, you know, it's pretty showy as we've talked about. Everyone makes speeches. He doesn't really make a lot of speeches. He interrupts speeches. People try to make speeches to him and he goes, no, this is actually the way it is. This is my experience and let me show you. And I'm willing to take a stand here, um, until I'm not, until like the guilt gets to him. I think it's a, it, it's so good, it almost, and so subtle, it almost doesn't fit in the movie. It definitely stands out to me as I watch it. But, like, he's, and he's also one of those character actors that luckily you don't have the, like, oh, he's Jack Nicholson, he's Tom Cruise, and you have this baggage. He kind of blends in a little bit, so it's easier for him to, I think, give this performance than anyone That's else. That's how he's able to sneak into the backseat of Tom Cruise's car. Right. And no one sees him No one sees him coming. No one's coming. attention to J.T. Walsh. <laughs> I'm sure he would appreciate having the baggage of a Jack Nicholson. Who wouldn't? <laughs> the, the, uh, you know, Dave from a podcast directed by Seal who, of Approval. Who is this idiot? <laughs> you can disappear. <laughs> no one cares about you, but I do. <laughs> this podcast. I'm the one. <laughs> I don't know. I had you pegged as a uh, Christopher Guest, Kiefer Sutherland type guy in this movie. Like Kiefer Sutherland playing like straight up villain. Oh, uh, like, it's a really enjoyable performance. Head. It's really good. And the accent, I mean, it is a lot. That that Kiefer Sutherland part um maybe stands out more than anything else. Like it is there's a lot going on. And I honestly, until you mention it again, I forgot Christopher Guest was in this because talk about blending in. Like that guy just mm-hmm. he looks different every I I can't imagine like being friends with someone like him in real life because every day you'd be like Wait, do I know you? Are you? Oh, hey, it's you again. I'd just be afraid he's doing a bit again. Where he's right. just, you know, planning his ne- next uh, feature film and doing right. a character every time he shows up to exactly. you know, play uh, to board game night. There he is with a wig or something or a monocle. Just, right. I don't know. I think it would be tiring. Yes, I totally <laughs> agree. But like, it is interesting because uh, there's, I don't think there's a lot of weak spots in this movie. I think it's, it's one of the better scripts that we're going to, that we're going to see put to film. Like it is. I, I think it might be Sorkin's best work as far as like just being a tight script, um, and getting his points across. Um, because I think it's interesting. I think he gets, 
we talked about, you know, seeing him as progressive back then. And I think even moving forward to things like the West Wing, he gets like less subtle than this. There's not as much gray area. It's very much like we are the good guys. Let's follow the good guys. And everyone else is evil incarnate. Whereas this does give a lot of forgiveness to people maybe you wouldn't expect. I would only have probably the social network above this. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Very different filmmaker, though. But, I mean, you, you put him with uh, Fincher, Fincher, Reiner, and, uh, save shit. I mean, really. Yeah, well, in that time, you, you follow the guy who uh, does not repent at all about how evil he is and what he's what damage he's going to do to the world. Right. So, uh, although I'm sure the Nicholson character here would hate to know that some young programmer could beat him in a game of power <laughs> and control <laughs> over the world. That's I mean, when you brought up J.T. Walsh, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, oh, yeah, he is probably the most like nuanced performance in that way because he's lived in this world. He's accepted it as a matter of our responsibility uh, and, and the burden that we carry. And he's the one that knows there's no lot at the end of the day for this, that even when you do as much, you know, I'm not trying to quote our uh, horrible orange president here, but even when you win as much as America supposedly has won, like in the, the domination of this planet, there's always, someone smaller that you know you're gonna have to abuse in some way like to, right. to maintain that power to maintain that order and uh you know it, i think the audience is fine with it when the smaller person is tom cruise we're like hey you can take it you, right. got, you know perfect looks charm <laughs> you know your bed and ladies left and right yeah we'll let you get smacked around by jack nicholson <laughs> or <laughs> insane Kiefer sutherland but it's the, the other characters the, right. the great kevin pollock the great jt walsh i didn't know we were going to come on and do <laughs> 30 minutes on a few good men and be like, you know, who's great. JT Walsh and Kevin Pollack. Fuck everybody else. <laughs> Look, we got to come with them. a different take. I mean, everyone loves Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson, like fine, whatever, but we're going to, we're going to go a little different. Yeah. And I, and I think you're right. And I think it, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, a lot of the message is about, you know, domination and what we've done and why quote unquote, why we stay safe. Um, but the final message of the movie is like kind of questioning, is that worth it? Is that bullying worth it? Or should we be taking care of people instead? And I like that, you know, that he went that route instead. And it does, you know, it is a courtroom movie, but you know, you mentioned, you know, Tom Cruise getting beat up a little bit. It does feel a little bit like a sports movie too. Um, where you kind of have like the, the young confident guy and then he gets kind of beat up and you know, you're not sure he's going to come out on top. And then at the end, you know, you know, to use a sports reference, he makes the buzzer beater, right? He challenges it on the stand and it works, even though he wasn't sure that it was going to end up in his favor. He took the risk and the home team wins and, you know, all that stuff. So it does, you know, for sports fans like you and I, like, I think it, it, it rings pretty true where it's just like, yeah, this, this feels like the structure it really should be. Whereas a lot of, a lot of courtroom dramas and we'll get to one later this month, uh, depend more on monologues than they do on the back and forth. And to me, unless you have just the greatest actor of a generation giving a monologue, I think the back and forth works much better. And I think that Sorkin style, you know, there are monologues in Sorkin, as you mentioned, but like his greatest work is usually like kind of the walk and talks and the back and forth. And that's what you have in your finale here. And I think that's why it works. Your emphasis on sports has caused uh, probably 75% of our listeners to check out, which is fine because I think we're getting close to uh, our expert clip moment, which is when yes. they, you know, I, in my mind, they take their headphones off to go like get a drink because when Hyro comes on, like, <laughs> no need to pause, just let that play out. Right. Uh, so I'll just finish with a, a silly thought. 
Uh, most of the time, you have any sort of uh, sporting, uh, I don't want to say event, because there's not really an event, but any sort of participation in sports, uh, usually the actor looks a little off. What did you, you think of Tom Cruise and his cuts? Uh, as he's giving, he's having a little, not a walk and talk, because he's standing there taking batting practice, but to me more is hounding him in, in the middle of his swings. What did you make of that? Did I mean, look, uh, good it's, enough for you? Uh, it's, not, it's not the worst I've ever seen on film, because like, there are many sports films where you can see like, Oh, have you ever seen a baseball before? Like, this is, this is a problem. Uh, and he's fine. He doesn't look like he would be the star of his, you know, his softball team or anything, but it's like, it's good enough. Um, I was expecting a little better, like, now that you, because I think of Tom Cruise as like pretty masculine guy, pretty athletic, you know, the guy does his all his own stunts and all that, but like, he's so beyond a star that I'm not convinced he knows what sports are. Like, so it's not too much of a surprise. So it could have been worse. Saying it's beneath him. <laughs> he probably thinks so. Or it's like, it's like just completely foreign to him. It would be like me asking you about cricket. You'd be like, what are we, what are we even talking about here? What, I saw what? that John Hamm movie. I was kind of intrigued by it. John Hamm <laughs> scouting cricket players. I think you were just baseball. intrigued by John Hamm. Let's be real, which is fair. I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm watching a gif of Tom Cruise to take a swing. Uh, yeah, it's not great. It's a little sloppy. Yeah, need yeah. some need some work, but you know, I would say he's a light hitting second baseman. That's where I project Tom Cruise. Yeah, hits a, hits about two forty, <laughs> like just it's a utility but infielder. Care to like it, uh, you know, bowled over for the double play because he's so intense. Yeah, yes, exactly. This has been the theme where Tom Cruise gets beat up. We need another. We need to do a month of Tom Cruise getting beat up on screen. Yeah, I think can you make that happen. Yeah, we bring can make Andrew that. back for that. Uh, sure. for that <laughs> second round of act uh, to direct. Yeah, Mike, just, a Mike once again tried to find a way out of this show. So uh, we are going to take a break and hear um, from our expert, as Mike mentioned, uh, to talk about the American president. The American president is, is I don't know if I would call it a guilty pleasure, because I, I do love the film, but I don't know if i'm supposed to like i i don't know if it's like this widely i don't know what the what the audience response to this movie but i love it i think it's fun i think um you you asked earlier about is some of this stuff problematic there are a couple things here that are problematic you know uh, the president here is mansplaining sex to her and then she yeah. just dives right in like, okay okay gotcha but <laughs> he is yeah I, I do like that sorkin and and reiner here sort of pull it while he is the president, they're kind of chopping him down a few notches. All right, so we're back. Now we're back in Mike's wheelhouse to talk about uh, romantic comedies. Uh, so we're back to talk about The American President, a movie I think we've talked about before on other podcasts <laughs> at least once. Um, so, and I, I seem to remember you saying on one of those other podcasts that this is like one of your favorites. Like this is like you've got mail, maybe one other one, and like the American president in that top three or top five. First off, how dare you? I believe that was like on this very show when I when I mentioned that. Uh, was it? So I, I can't believe they all blend uh, together, Mike. Doing, like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we talked about this on the Grand Gesture. We did a full episode on the American President, and yeah, it's one of my favorite rom coms. Uh, the comfort food type. I'm not saying it's better than like It Happened One Night or something like that. Although I've seen It Happened One Night, and I do think it's better. Like <laughs> if you give me one to watch. Um, but yeah, the 
You've got mail, keeping the faith. There's something else. See, now I, I hate when you tell me, hey, you once said this on a recording because I'm like, did oh, I? Shit. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this is one of my, my favorites. Uh, I When we started this month, I believe I told you, and you know, you may remember or not. Uh, apparently, you just mute my side of the conversation. You again? Shuffle your notes. <laughs> <around>. <laughs> that uh, this was an accidental uh, Rob Reiner marathon for me. This was included with like misery and something else where I'm like, everything I rent that weekend was like, Hey, it's Rob Reiner again. So the accidental auteur, um, I would say this one more so than a few good men falls under the Sorkin verse, probably because it seems like a backdoor pilot for the West wing. An attempt, like you assume that the West wing came about because of the success of this film. And my God, we have, one of the the actors, the right hand man of the president, the chief of staff here, he he gets bumped up. Yeah, he gets to be Bartlett. It's a little promotion. That's... Uh, yeah, yeah, to the you know to TV, I guess. In those days, I don't know if it was a promotion, but I guess now it would be because there's no no movies, no movie business. <laughs> this recording. Yeah, this is one of my favorites. I, I really, really like. I'll just throw it out there because I know you'll never talk about her because she's a lady. I, uh, she's the really, first person really I was going to talk about, just so you know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Cause yeah, I, I, need to remind you. I think it's a, it's a really interesting balance that, that she plays with here because I think it would be easy to make a romantic comedy. A lot of romantic comedies, it's like the girl is this pretty normal. The guy is to fuck up and the guy is to get fixed. Right. And she's like a little bit neurotic Wait. here. She's like you're saying can't happen this time because he's the president. Well, it's a little <laughs> harder. Seen as a yeah, fuck up. That's in the true. 90s. So it's like, you well, can make this now and it would be a standard rom com. But I like the yeah, fact yeah. that like she is constantly as as a person would be in this situation, like constantly thrown off. Like, you know, there's a great scene early in the movie, you know, after their their meet cute where he's trying to call her on the phone. And like, you know, as you look back on it, like, oh, maybe a little creepy. You're like using the FBI or the NSA to like track down her phone number. Uh, but her, the whole bit where she doesn't not that bad considering (laughs) the world, not anymore. (laughs) Um, but so interesting that, you know, they play it, of course, like her, like not believing it's him and then having to apologize all over again and her constantly off her game and a little bit neurotic, but not so much where, where it's not endearing. Like I think, I think it would be, it would be very easy to kind of slip into caricature. Uh, with the Annette Benning character here, but like, it's also, I think sometimes rom-coms get a, get a kind of a bad look because you don't get maybe actors at the top of their craft doing, doing a lot of rom-coms, but like Annette Benning, Annette Benning's all amazing. The shade well, on, I mean, on the genre. But it's not even, so fair, but it's not even really about the genre. It's that the genre isn't respected. So it doesn't pull in the greatest actors, like people who are already established. Um, like, you know, Daniel Day Lewis and Meryl Streep aren't going to like run in to do a rom-com necessarily. Um, but I think Annette Benning and Douglas here are great and they're accomplished actors already at this point. Like she hadn't hit the like, um, well, had she, yeah, she hadn't hit the like American beauty where she was like getting nominated constantly, but she was still a pretty well-respected actor. Um, so I think they both bring a lot of skill into this in a, in an interaction and a relationship that could, that could go, it could go left or right at any moment and really not work because of the power differential and like the politics and everything else. But it's like a remarkably well balanced movie between the political back and forth and the romance. 
I mean, he is a widow, Dave. My goodness, like he has Richard Dreyfus doesn't give a shit, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Starting to sound like him. I'm like, (laughs) that. That is the, uh, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because it's not uh, not something that we would be accustomed to, uh, obviously. And so it it is played as like, hey, this is strange. Like Mm -hmm. we have to like everyone logically knows that it's like, okay, he's still, uh, you know, an able-bodied. Man, it's not like he's he's in he's not Hugh Hefner, right? It's not where it's that creep factor <laughs> of like, do you really need this much female companionship, especially from uh, women in their twenties? Like, no. So you're saying guy, if he played uh, this role now, it would it would not work. <laughs> he's a little older now. I, I do think there's an I think there's an age cutoff where we're comfortable with someone like you know jumping into the dating scene mm-hmm. with, with both feet where <laughs> unfortunately and i you know maybe there'll be someone on twitter responding to this like how dare you be so ageist like you know everyone, everyone should be able to but i think the general public and you know that's the conceit of the movie is that uh yes he's he's not been put out to pasture so he is going to have you know probably multiple relationships in his life before maybe he settles down again whatever but it's the idea of our president I, think, I guess everyone thinking you're doing it on our time. <laughs> like the president's <laughs> life is ours. We put you in office. You know, it's our taxpayer dollars. Like there is that level of discomfort. The power dynamics you're talking about, I think they they sidestep those in a way. And it's it's due to Michael Douglas. The, the corny nature of Sorkin, mm-hmm. I think, actually is a great help here to, yeah. to make him seem <laughs> less imposing because – uh, they really laid on. I think this one comes across far less as a Reiner joint than previous ones because it seems like Reiner was like this Sorkin guy. Man, he sure can write, and it's like I'll just <laughs> just give me something. Just, just sit I'll back, just, go ahead, whatever. <laughs> yeah, just what just have him. Yeah, the very much the uh, the Gus Van Sant and uh, Jay and Silent Bob strike back. Reiner's just counting his money. Got my money, good men. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, like Douglas, you know he. He's trying to, to order her her state flower. Um, he ends up sending her a Virginia ham. <laughs> it's very you know, cute. It's it's, it, it's cute and it's and yet again age appropriate, Dave. Because if he was, you know, what is the earliest she can be president? Is it thirty five? I mean, we've never even I think that's right. Yeah, thirty five. Mm-hmm. I don't. But, I mean, we've I don't, we've never come close. We usually go double that and, just to be safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just to be safe. Yeah, that's really worked out well for us. Uh, um, maybe we maybe we should switch up a lot of things. <laughs> so, yeah, might need to. It goes. Um, I, I think it, it works because it, it sort of deflates this guy as being a smooth, uh, predatorial type. Because you're like, man, he's really. He's really trying to pull out all the old tricks, and it's like, as you said, that optimistically you can call it cute. Uh, cynically, you can just be like, this guy is a total dork. They're like, yeah, he's the president, <laughs> but my goodness. Uh, there's a great scene where she uh, comes out. Uh, you know, She's undressed, and he's he's trying to sorkin his way through their first sexual encounter, which means we're going to talk about it for three months before. <laughs> and you know, he immediately becomes a, a teenage boy again who doesn't know – he doesn't know where to, to – Try not to be explicit, but where to put anything? Like he, he has no idea. He is fumbling through the dialogue. Uh, I think in a pretty uh, charming way. I, I think it's weird actually to think of a rom com where, when you're talking about the power dynamics, where both of them seem like the sort of quirky neurotic types. Yeah. Usually you have one, but mm-hmm. I think both of them are taken aback by the other. And so between individual scenes, you'll see one of them 
you know, hold the power and then volley it back. But they, they take these turns of being sort of at wit's end. And it's a it's a high-pressure situation. And the other thing I like about it is most rom-coms are bullshit as far as <laughs> why they have to break up. Like, oh, someone got a job across the country or, you know, the best friend says they're not good enough for you, whatever. This one, it's like, hey, I don't really enjoy being harassed and being slut-shamed. Like on, on national television, yeah. So that my parents can hear that. like that, And yet the way they respond to it is in very adult fashion, very uh-huh. mature conversations about it. It's There's just a steady hander. You know what? I, I strike that. Rob Reiner, he brought this one home. Maybe <laughs> maybe there was even more dad humor in this, and he, he called that. It's just the right amount. Yeah, I mean, I think in general, it's just a really endearing movie. Um, you know, you had kind of mentioned them sidestepping the power dynamic, and they do, but they also call it out. Like, there's some scenes where she kind of talks about, like, how do you, how do you respond when the president asks you out on a date? Like, what, of course, what am I going to say other than yes? So I think, uh, they get around that by not only having them be both so neurotic with each other. Like there's a great line in that scene you were referencing where he talks about, you know, just cause I'm the most powerful man in the universe, in the, in the world doesn't mean, uh, uh, you know, and think that little back and forth, which is, yeah, there's not a <laughs> biological, uh, after effect. Right. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great thing on the planet. Great moment. But then you also have these moments, her with her friends, him with his friends kind of talking about how worried they are about this. And I think that, that kind of lessens the effect of the power dynamic when you realize like he's just as nervous as she is and he doesn't know what the right thing to do is either. And you talking about the slut shaming, like it's, it's a, it's actually a really sad kind of powerful moment. And the way she reacts is so human. It, I like the fact that it wasn't like, how dare they say that about me? It wasn't, it wasn't even anger. It was just like, Oh, my father heard that. Like, the after effects of everything you'd have to deal with by being in the limelight when that's not your chosen profession. She didn't make a choice to be a politician and now she's like thrust into the light here. And it's a really affecting moment. And I think some of that is of course the writing, but I also just, just think Annette Benning is just such a tremendous actress that she, even in a situation that is over the top as it has to be in a movie with this context, like still kind of brings it home in this way that feels natural and feels down to earth. Uh, and that's not something every actor can do. Uh, and I think, honestly, I think she is, I think Douglas is really good here, but I think, I think he's in comparison to her replaceable. Whereas I think if you put a, in another actress here, he was, yes, <laughs> that's what we're yes, exactly. another <laughs> We agree guy, on Martin that. And I also think yeah. it's, um, a lot of times this, when you say this about a movie, it's an insult and it's not in this case where it's like, it's two movies. Um, where you have the political aspect and the romantic aspect, but I think both of them are so strong in this case that it somehow works. Like it would be very easy for one to overtake the other, but I think because of the relationship between Douglas and Martin Sheen, uh, I think they, they work well together because then you have kind of the emotional aspect of the political story. Like there's the scene where they're playing pool and he's just like, please just call me by my name. Like we're friends. And like when they have that kind of, come to Jesus moment about like what's going on and what he needs to do next. It's really powerful too. Like I think that friendship is another really interesting relationship that sometimes doesn't get fully explored in rom-coms in it does in great rom-coms, but in like standard rom-coms, it's like, Oh, you're the, you're the comedic value. You know, you're the funny friend, you know, you're the one getting in the way you're this, but that actually feels like a full relationship. It's, it's difficult and because you have this, these other secondary characters, like I, I'd say, Probably my favorite is Michael J. Fox because he's the 
he's the the cynic i guess he's the he's the friendly antagonist like <laughs> the i pay your fucking this. salary <laughs> yeah he he's the uh he is the one that keeps chirping up with like but he's also he's an interesting character because he's an idealist uh while also still being a cynic like a mm-hmm. pretty great cynic um i i think that you have to have the i, I look at the martin sheen character as as <laughs> reiner to douglas but like a, a stand in for for sorkin where it's like okay like yeah, I'll let you. I'm gonna let you go off the rails a little bit here, but I'm gonna rein you in, like when when it's necessary, uh, and to and to be the the guiding force. But you know, there's that also that really powerful scene with uh, Michael J. Fox where you know it's talking about you know, I guess kind of pairing it with a few good men. Like when you have attained this great level of power, which for most of the this film is just referenced kind of as a joke, because how does that how does that power translate to his personal life? Uh, not really, as we see with him and his daughter. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> he's a pretty much a normal sort of uh, very assured but bumbling dad. Like that, that really wants her to be as passionate about history as he is, and you can just see her rolling her eyes. You know, mm-hmm. um, but like in the professional setting, which is, I think, upon rewatch, the stuff that I always worry about because there's we not even touched on the fact that you know how they Annette Benning's character meets him as she's uh, a lobbyist, <laughs> and that. There is that that trope here as well that like you know the the professional aspects of their lives get in the way of the personal and their romance, and it's funny that Michael J. Fox is the character that is probably the least supportive of the romance, but from a political point of view, he's most on the side of someone like Annette Bening, which is like being a true believer in a cause and not letting mm-hmm. that get in the way, and I I think that it's it's a strangely supportive look. At, at the melding of the two things, which usually in rom-coms, it's like, you know, quit your job, right? <laughs> get on the motorcycle, chase the girl, that type of thing. And when we talked about the, the slut shaming scene, like usually what the film comes around to is that you have to find some way to balance both. Like you have to bring the best of your personal life to your profession uh-huh. and, and hope that, you know, people have enough faith in you as a human that they can, they can follow you because you actually believe in it. And, we haven't. We also have not touched on the fact. I know in our grand gesture episode, we're like, "Boy, how would it age now?" Releasing a movie where the president ends with, "And I'm going to get the guns." Like that's, that's <laughs> the next thing on the mm, agenda. Nope. This and this was a box office success. Like this and a few good men. Like we are not that far removed from these being populist hits. Now I'm sure there were some Richard Dreyfus, not the the man, but the character he's playing here. <laughs> some of those guys that would have nothing to do with a, a movie, as you said, about a liberal fantasy president and his romance uh with annette benning lobbyist but yeah we are in starkly different times as far mm-hmm. as like any of these these plot elements being in there I, I feel like it you know i could have watched this with like my grandfather and he might not have liked the whole we're gonna get the guns but he still would have been like well i like the part where they fell in love that was good for <laughs> them you know he, he, that that would not happen now as soon as i'm gonna get the guns comes out this whole thing is trash like you know the, there's the, the hate coming out for for these two and not wishing these characters well but i, I think that's that sorkin and reiner because i'm trying to think back to what we've covered this month with reiner i feel like for the most part he's always like wishing the best for his characters even going mm-hmm. so far so far back as spinal tap those are yeah. joke characters but he still wants a happy ending for them like even even though we've kind of enjoyed all of their folly up to this point uh i, I think you feel fairly safe in a rob reiner joint that mm-hmm. things are going to work out 
that being said, we did skip north, which yeah, <laughs> didn't work out for anybody. I hear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a good place to wrap up. I think you know, if you want, especially a Rob Reiner movie where he really roots for his characters, I think this is a great example of it. I think he does that throughout his career, but this is the most the most stark example of it uh, because. You know, we talked about, you know, we had another podcast called The Grand Gesture, and it's really interesting to talk about this movie because everything in this movie is a grand gesture, but he does a really good job of still adhering to the tropes at work and getting to that moment where he's going to, you know, he's willing to kind of risk it all um, for this woman because he realizes, like, you know, how many chances do you have at Love This Powerful? And, like, and that stuff all really works. And I love the fact that, you know, she just, instead of, like, him necessarily needing to complete the grand gesture. I like that she just shows up. You know, she was going to come back anyway. It's Do you feel shortchanged that we don't get to see her running through the streets of Washington or, you know, because I feel like we probably don't need it. I like no, that she just, she's she been just through enough in the Oval Office. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need that. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's, it's one of those movies that before we first covered it on, on that other podcast, uh, I, I don't think I'd ever seen it before. Like it was one of those, like I always known about and then it was just kind of like just never got around to it. Um, and it is really interesting to watch after you've seen something like the West Wing, like you could definitely see the seeds here, but, uh, you know, if I got to choose between watching a great episode of the West Wing and watching this, I'm probably going to watch this because like, you know, it's, it has a nice ending. It's a movie. It wraps day. up. Yeah. Well, movies are better that's than TV. Order. That's true. We're back to the pecking order. Okay. Um, so that's it for this episode on our next episode. Uh, we'll be covering, you know, more lighthearted, light, lighthearted stuff like uh ghost of Mississippi. Uh, but then we will end with the bucket list, which is, you know, if you know anything about bucket list, probably the perfect place to end a month. Uh, so that is how we're going to wrap up. <sighs> I'm putting in a request. God, you, you have let Sorkin infect your brain uh, as far as how you set that one up. Uh, my request is for the Ghosts of Mississippi segment. Uh, we just play some clips from the American president and uh, <laughs> like that. You can do the sand scene. That's a great exchange. You know, where you have like, the lightning, like and the thunder right after Michael J. Fox is like hero. His boss is just <laughs> he just becomes stricken with the cynicism of this great liberal fantasy. That's how I feel on nope. this podcast. Oftentimes nope. when you're speaking, that's, that is the clip that plays in my mind. <laughs> nope, we're going to talk about racists. It's going to be great. Um, all right, so if you'd like to hear like, more from us. Out, out of context. <laughs> if you'd like to hear more from us, you can follow us on Twitter at DirectedByPod. And if you would like access to bonus episodes and bonus interviews, you can pay as little as a dollar a month on pay- on Patreon. And the this website there is patreon.com slash a podcast directed by. 